This is the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. 918 is our time on this Tuesday morning, the 2nd of January, 2024. Bruce in for Dave. And joining us in for Bob Olin this morning is Bob Olin. Good morning. Well, good morning, and of course, we have to greet you and all our listeners with a very happy new year. Yes, indeed. Happy new year to you as well. How are the holidays? Very nice. Very nice. Uh, really unusual. It made uh, traveling fairly easy. I did encounter on uh, one of my trips the family, a little bit icy conditions, but other than that, rather remarkable. And that rain on uh, Christmas and Christmas Eve, uh, I've just never seen anything like this, Bruce. Yeah, I was in Nebraska. We had a white Christmas. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I heard there was some really nasty weather down that way in the Great Plains. How was your drive? I uh, the drive itself was fine. Uh, we got we went down there Thursday and it was it was beautiful. Uh, nice bright sunshine on Friday, and the fog and the drizzle moved in. It felt very Duluth like uh, for a good chunk of the time. And then so Christmas Eve morning we got up and it was fifty five degrees with rain and thunderstorms. Oh. By yeah. crisp by Christmas Eve night, it was in the 30s, and there was ice starting to to glaze over on roads and vehicles and sidewalks and all that bit. And then we got up on Christmas morning, and it was uh, it had, we'd got enough ice and snow that it was white everywhere. Oh, that's and, and that's uh, probably a little unusual for what well, the brown Christmas we had is what was so extremely unusual for well, us. Oh, right. You had, a white, you had the white Christmas after all. Yes, we, we, we just had to drive 544 miles to our south and west to find the white Christmas. That's all. <laughs> Isn't that something? Very normal, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> pretty normal. Uh, you know, we'll take you back to last year, which uh, turned out to be uh, a rather uh, exceptional going year if you hung in there. I think maybe there's there's something we can learn from this last year, maybe something about life. Never, ever, ever give up, because I'll tell you, Last year, again, the growing season was uh, extremely remarkable. And just to remind people, I, this is probably very fresh in everyone's memory. We came off, what, 140-some issues of, inches of snow last year, snow early, uh, heavy, heavy wet snow that did so much damage to the landscapes, the trees. I mean, uh, road crews were still through the entire season cleaning up uh, some of that damage. So that early season, very heavy wet snow was uh, rather remarkable did put a real nice insulating layer on for us and uh you know we went through the season and uh, we assumed that we were going to have a great snow melt which we did we didn't have any frost in the ground so we pushed a lot of moisture into the ground and then all of a sudden it went dry on us me and june the driest uh, two months in record ever and um it is rather remarkable and we got into uh midsummer and we heard about all the heat in the southwest and we thought boy, we're really going to have a difficult, hot, dry-growing season. Well, it turned out our temperatures were not extreme. As a matter of fact, the month of July was a little bit below our average. Our daytime temperatures averaged just about 75 degrees, which is about a degree and a half below normal. So uh, that was uh, rather remarkable. Very, very bright conditions. The one thing that was lacking mid-season was moisture. So if you could supply water, uh, irrigation is what uh, you really had to rely on one way or another. And um, things were growing along pretty well. It was rather remarkable uh, for anyone that tried it. You know, we do two things when we put our veggies in the ground. We're either going to come in from transplants, which we grow out in the greenhouse, or we're going to direct seed, where you just put the seed in the ground, which most uh, most folks are going to do some of both. You're going to put transplants in for tomatoes at least, and you're going to direct seed your carrots and your beets and, and your sweet corn and other things. So you're going to do a little bit of both. Well, 
I knew we had water down below. I, I dropped uh, some of our seed in very deep. I'm thinking of sweet corn and beans. We went in deeper than we normally would. We'd plant an inch and a half deep, went down two and a half, three inches. And I get a lot of people that watch what I do for whatever reason. And I didn't, uh, I didn't risk everything on this, but I had some seed in very, very deep, three inches on the sweet corn. And by jingo, that took off. It got out of the ground. And uh, because those roots could get down in the available moisture, had a tremendous crop that way without any additional moisture. Anything that was in very shallow, uh, we struggled with, as everyone else did. If you didn't have plenty and consistent available moisture, uh, a lot of that seed may have, well, we the term we use is cracked. It started to germinate, and then it got very dry, so those very tender emerging seedlings just fried off on you. So we replanted carrots three times, actually, till we finally got a crop. And then we had to come in with uh, transplants and backfill and all kinds of things to get things going. So for me, it was a very remarkable year. Uh, moisture was the key. So I think uh, we're going to be focusing more and more on moisture and the consistency of moisture because, you know, Bruce, it's kind of remarkable as we went through the season and people will remember all of a sudden it started to rain in September and there are areas that were in where I would grow in almost like the Sahara Desert, and then all of a sudden we had standing water. In the month of September, we had more more than average uh, rainfall, and then we had a very, very late, late fall. So a lot of fall crops uh, did mature, a lot of late uh, broccoli and cauliflower, and these are crops that typically will do well in the, in the fall if you have enough season. This year we had plenty of season, and then, of course, we followed it up with this very, very dry uh, late fall and early winter time and and rain on uh, Christmas and so forth and uh, what a what an extremely remarkable year. So Bruce, what's the, what's the upshot of this? Uh, what's coming this next year? Who knows? Is is what I'm going to say. I think uh, we have to be prepared for just a little bit of everything. But I think the one thing that I feel confident about is we're going to continue to have good growing seasons. You know, we we're this far north. We got plenty of light. And that was another remarkable thing about last year. We had uh, a lot of bright open skies during the growing season, plenty of sunlight. So if the water was there, if you could supply it, uh, the growth was really tremendous, and the crops were certainly exceptional. So what are we going to get? We know we got plenty of available light. Uh, we got some moisture in the ground. We're going to have frost in pretty deep, so we're going to have to watch that, particularly if we get extremely cold temperatures here without any more insulation. In the, in the form of snow on the ground. So I think uh, we're going to have to watch our spring planting a little bit. And again, I'm assuming we're going to have to plan for supplemental uh, water. That would be irrigation of one type or another. So you got to get kind of your plans in place. If you've never tried trickle irrigation, we're going to have more people trying trickle. We're going to have people that are going to be setting out timers, watching the, uh, the moisture availability. Now, when I say that, uh, who knows? The spring could be extremely moist, and we could be surprised again. But one way or another, I think we're going to have to plan for different techniques to supply moisture, to come in and think about putting additional transplants in, to think about the entire uh, growing season. Perhaps we're going to have a very early spring. We haven't seen that in the, in uh, several years here. But we've had Aprils when you've been able to do a lot of planting in mid-April, where typically it'd be mid-May and, and into June. We might have one of those kind of years. So we want to capture every portion of that growing season from very early until very late. And then I think uh, I'm just making mental notes to myself. I don't think we can necessarily predict with any degree of reliability. And yet I th we know we're going to have a good growing season going forward. Just when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, how it's going to unfold. Those are the big unknowables. But when all said and done, I'm looking forward to really a very, very good growing season 
Uh, if you got questions, sorry, if you got questions for Bob, you can call or text anytime two one eight seven two two zero eight three nine two one eight seven two two zero eight three nine. I, you know, you talk about insulation, and and we've got we mentioned this is kind of very light cover of snow. My guess, yeah. I'm not educated on this stuff, Bob. I know you are. My guess is this is not enough. What's ideal? Well, you know, every inch is important, and it's not just the the quantity, but it's quality, but. Uh, Snow is such a valuable insulator because the way it interacts, the way those those crystals form. Um, ideal, I, I'd love to have six inches out there. I think we have what we call the law of diminishing returns. So every every uh, inch of insulation provides, every additional inch provides a little bit less insulating value. It's no different than the R value in the, the walls or ceiling of your home. It's that first inch or two that are extremely critical. So we got an inch on there, but boy, I'd like to certainly up to about six inches then from six inches on out uh you get a little more insulating value but it it isn't really that significant so we we really have two things uh when we talk about snow cover first yes the insulating value that's what's going to be important for a lot of uh, plants perennial plants that are in the ground say you've got blueberries you've got strawberries you've got uh, a lot of uh tree shrubs ornamental uh perennial flowers uh these things that have got roots and uh, underground storage uh, systems in the ground, they need some protection, spring flowering bulbs or garlic, uh, these types of things. So we have the insulating value there. But the nice thing about snow is that we get a, a nice shot of moisture in the spring of the year when we're trying to germinate seed, when we're trying to get uh, your asparagus plant growing, as, as an example, where those roots have been sitting there. And if you get a nice shot, a nice steady snow melt in the spring, they get off to a very good start. The one thing that uh, we always have to be aware of, days are getting a little longer right now, which is uh, a note for optimism. I mean, we come into that real dark period, and I don't feel comfortable. I think everybody slows down just a little bit. Some people affected more than others, but days are getting longer now. So we come into spring, and, of course, our springs here, our first uh, average fall frost, um, it can be right in June, actually. We were not our frost-free dates of about June 10th here, so we can get a spring frost. We, we really can't capture a lot of that light in the early season. But that, when I mentioned, Bruce, the fact we want to take advantage of the whole season, you might want to plan on uh, planting early if the season cooperates with uh, some kind of covering material. For gardeners, you can pull a, a sheet out there, some poly on some of the frost-sensitive materials. But some of the very best salad greens is an example spinach you can get that in very early it'll germinate very early but the plant itself is frost sensitive so if we get a, uh, a very late frost or if we get frost at any time there uh, you're going to have to protect that particular plant but that's worth that little bit of extra effort because the quality of a spring um, spinach is so much better than at any time during the rest of the growing season because it really loves cool but not freezing conditions so what's coming we don't know uh, the snow, getting back to your question, would be very desirable. I'm not so sure we have a whole lot of control over that at this particular point. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I, I'm pretty sure we don't. We're at the mercy of Mother Nature and whatever she decides to give us. So I, I, I have heard through the grapevine that there's a possibility, at least, of maybe a, a system moving in here next week and to cool things off and uh, maybe bring us some snow. And, and there's no question at this point we could use it. There's, I, I understand that the... Uh, you know, the ice fisher types might want the, the things to freeze back over solid before we get snow. I get it. We need some snow. We need some precip around here. It's, it's been crazy. I know they get, you guys got a lot of rain while we were in uh, in Nebraska for Christmas, but uh, mm-hmm. we need some snow and some, and some cover on the ground. Uh, Bob, we'll come back to you here in a little bit. All right. How's that sound? Great.
All right. Sounds just great. We'll talk about some of the new plans for the new year. All right. Sounds good. Bob Olin, the Bob Olin Show, every Tuesday from 9 to 10 here on KDAL. Bob's going to rejoin us in just a little bit. Again, if you've got a, a question for Bob, you can call or you can text. Either one works. 218-722-0839. 218-722-0839. We'll take calls and texts for Bob as we continue on this Tuesday morning. A reminder, Bruce Siski show after 10. Pat Micheletti joins. Talk some wild, maybe a little world juniors as well. U.S. plays at 10 o'clock this morning in the quarterfinal round against Latvia. Right now, Czechia, Canada 2-2. Finland has already pulled an upset on Slovakia in overtime in the quarterfinals at the world juniors in Sweden. 9.31, CBS News is next on KDAL. 9.36 at KDAL, rejoining here with Bob. Good morning. You've got some stuff you want to get to with this new year as well. Well, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it is fun. And what's, uh, what's really great is uh, we know that, uh, you know, gardening is uh, by a lot of indications the, uh, the number one hobby in, the, uh, in North America, really. Uh, and it came from, our, I think, our agricultural traditions, and it came from uh, uh, the desire that people have now to grow some of their own uh, food. At one time, of course, it was absolutely essential that you grew your own food. We, we really went back to uh, a time when everything was local, and uh, it's real interesting when you look at the development of both Wisconsin and uh, Minnesota. Uh, you know, agriculture was is the backbone. First, you got to feed yourself, and that's true of all societies. They try to get as much agricultural production as they can, and as uh, that becomes more efficient, um, people can do other things with their lives, and hence the development of uh, all of society, I guess. But it really first it starts with a uh, with a good, uh, solid, stable food supply. So that was really critical. It's something we kind of take for granted right now, and even it's rather remarkable because with uh, all the variability in the climate, at least we're getting moisture. We got these huge uh, oceans, water expanses, so we're getting uh, we're getting moisture at some point, uh, any place in the world. So I don't think we have to be concerned now with modern agriculture about uh, feeding people. Uh, distribution's another thing, equity's another thing, but uh, certainly uh, with the large land masses and the ability to move product, uh, we're going to have, uh, we're certainly going to have a food supply. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be in your backyard. It doesn't necessarily mean that uh, we can't have droughts as well as floods and other things going forward. And uh, it goes without saying that um, I know the weather and the climate issues, climate change are going to certainly be a topic of conversation, probably, Bruce, the rest of our lifetime as we transition into into some of these changes. But for the gardeners, uh, we've got um, always every year we look forward with anticipation. And uh, the thing that reassures me that this hobby is going to continue to be number one is the number of catalogs that, that continue to come out, print catalogs now. Print catalogs got to be extremely expensive. We do a little printing with some of the programming we do, and I know what color printing costs. And when I look at all the beautiful catalogs that still get in the mail and that still get out there, uh, we know that uh, there are a lot of people taking advantage of this and that the hobby is going to continue to be uh, really important to people. It's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, we've got a nice mix of urban and rural and, and uh, suburban areas uh, in our metro area here for sure. And uh, the more rural we get, uh, the, the farther we go back into maybe sustenance and uh, uh, putting a vegetable garden out there for a food supply for the family. But I'll tell you, I see some really, really nice, efficient gardens in our urban areas. In uh, Duluth and Superior, some of our gardeners produce a tremendous amount of product in a limited amount of space. And um, I have to congratulate some of them. They, they just uh, do a lot of... Uh, 
what I call vertical gardening, where they're going to take advantage of all the space that they have by growing things up on a lot of trellises. And uh, I have, uh, you know, stopped at various gardens and admired what people are doing. And in many cases, uh, folks are, are really very interested in supplying uh, their own nutritional food needs with a good vegetable garden. And uh, whether it be a container with just some tomatoes in it or whether it be a a larger uh, garden where they're trying to maximize the amount of production that comes out of that area. You know, Bruce, we're, we're far we're north, of course, uh, which in many ways is uh, becoming more and more desirable as things tend to heat up. But uh, we were always bemoaning the fact we had such a growing, short growing season, and now that's being extended just a little bit. You don't want to be fooled because we, we haven't changed. Uh, we've given up some of our climate zones uh, these are winter hardiness zones but our growing season itself has been extended a little bit but just a day or two so we really can expect that we're going to get some uh, late spring frost and maybe some early fall frost uh, that will shorten things up for us but we have a, uh, a, a very very adequate growing season I think it's been underappreciated uh, northeast Minnesota northwestern uh, Wisconsin, you know, we've got a lot of a uh, good forest industry here. We've got good forage production, but we don't tend to be that real intense commercial agricultural uh, part of the state, which we have in both states, just a little bit farther south. So we've been kind of minimized up here, and people concerned a little bit about our growing season. I think the growing season is very adequate, and one of the real nice things, Bruce, is we're seeing these new introductions, shorter season introductions, a great deal of variability coming coming down and I want to every year this time of year I, I tend to look at uh, what's called the All-American Winners and we have a an evaluation process that's been going on for a long long time started back in the depression days and we take you back to that time when food was really not abundant and this is hard for us I think to relate to because of the abundance that we've had here but uh, there was a time in this country where the, the, the wonderful soils that we've got and the technology and uh, the seed that's available and other inputs that are available, there was a time when uh, we were malnourished as a nation. Actually, some of the things I've read right up until some of the innovations that came about because of the Second World War and the use of nitrogen fertilizers, uh, uh, food was extremely precious, and uh, people really were growing their own um my history a little bit on the iron range where we saw vegetable gardens when times were tough people really did rely and fall back onto that uh, vegetable garden even in the 70s i opened up some community garden plots and we had 200 families on one and they were very concerned about food supply they this is the uh, mid 70s and uh, they were growing potatoes and other staples cabbage and potatoes uh which they stored and they were concerned about uh, uh the availability of food so we don't have to go back too far Things have uh, changed a little bit since then. Uh, the times are a little bit better. Uh, there's more employment, and people realize that uh, gardening of all types, it's a labor of love, but there's a, there's going to be a, a, a component of a labor involved in that, and then there's a component of intensity, and you've got to care for those gardens. And so uh, people have kind of gradually, gradually worked their way away from some of these tasks, but nonetheless, uh, they're coming back. I think people are aware of the need for quality food. Uh, you can grow these things in accordance with organic standards. You don't have to use any pesticides, any commercial fertilizer. You can do what you want in your own backyard garden. And it's the quality of the food, I think, that comes from that that's really caught people's attention lately. So um, all the community plots that I'm aware of are full right now. People are, are uh, making uh, use of the space that's available. 
Uh, we're doing a lot more with containers. We have interest just about everywhere in both ornamentals as well as edibles. So we go back again uh, to the new varieties that are coming up. And uh, the encouraging thing is that the industry is responding uh, to the the interest. And we every year we've got a lot of new introductions, both the flowering introductions, the ornamentals, as well as the vegetables. So we've got an organization called All American Selections. People have uh, heard of them. They do quite a bit of uh, work with marketing. So they've got this All American Selection symbol that you're going to see on a lot of plant materials in in the catalogs that you get. This organization goes back a long, long ways, goes back into the Depression era. Uh, I believe it was founded in 1933, and um, it was uh, it was founded really to help uh, consumers evaluate all the new varieties that are coming on board. It was back in that time that we started really intensely hybridizing different plants, uh, crossing materials, uh, so that we got new introductions and there was so much interest because people were interested in feeding themselves and feeding their families. All these new introductions, no way really to evaluate them. So there was an organization, I believe it started down in Georgia way back when, and uh, called the All-American Selections uh, Committee. And uh, actually the first introductions uh, were, I believe, in 1934 and there were a tremendous number of of selections that were nominated and approved in 1934. So basically it's it's a nonprofit organization that, that really is, uh, has got what we call two types of gardens, trial gardens. And the trial gardens are spread throughout the United States. There are a number of them. We don't have one in Minnesota at this particular point, but they're, they're spread throughout the country. And um, these are gardens that are typically at the universities or at uh, seed production houses that are managed by professionals. So when they, uh, when they evaluate all of these materials, uh, there's, there's really a professional uh, evaluation that does occur. So we've got those, and, and from those, uh, all of the recording and all of the data that's taken by professionals, uh, there's a committee that selects the All-American selections every year. Now we've got this, what we call display gardens, where they take a lot of these materials that have gotten this designation as All-American selection, they put them on display, and we've got any number of those in Minnesota as well as Wisconsin. They tend to be congregated in, in Minnesota around the Twin Cities area, but there are some out-state. Uh, we had one in Grand Rapids for a number of years that may not be officially de- designated as display any longer, but it's certainly... They do display a lot of these varieties, and there are several uh, in Wisconsin as well. So you can actually take a look at some of these varieties. Of course, today you can you can pull it up all off the internet and what some of these varieties look like. But so, how does 2024 look like? And I'm always uh, very interested in what pops out. Very interesting year because uh, color and I, color is so important in so many different ways and. Uh, we think about color in all the flowering material, but color in the vegetable garden has become more and more significant as well. So uh, it's very interesting. We've got a new broccoli out there that, that did receive All-American uh, designation this year, and this is a national winner. By the way, they've got regional because plants do respond differently in different parts of the country. Obviously, the south's different than the north. The Pacific Northwest is quite different than the Midwest or the Northeast. So there are actually regional winners some varieties that actually perform well in one region and not necessarily in another. But when a, when a, a variety gets a, uh, a national selection, um, you know it's performed really quite well uh, throughout uh, the continental or the contiguous United States here. And we've got a broccoli that's jumped forward there, one called Purple Magic. 
which is going to be kind of uh, kind of intriguing um, based on the descriptions. I haven't tried it. It's sometimes challenging to get some of the uh, the new seed. It takes a while, and there's a, a lot of interest, of course, so it's kind of challenging to get some of the limited seed that's available the first year. Once they get the designation, then the seed houses uh, tend to produce a lot more seed because they know that designation is going to drive a lot of interest. But Purple Magic, Broccoli, Broccoli is uh, among the cabbage family, I think, in terms of volume, it's one of the all-stars. It is uh, broccoli is overall on a composition basis the most nutritious vegetable out there. Uh, if we take a look at all the available uh, vitamins as well as the the, the uh, phytochemicals that are available, broccoli is really number one. It may not have the most vitamin C or the vitamin A. Some others may have a little more, but overall. In terms of composition, it's the most uh, nutritious out there. And now we got one called Purple Magic, which has this purple pigment called anthocyanin, which is an antioxidant, protects the cells, protects the cells in the plant, protects uh, actually the cells as we consume uh, these high antioxidant uh, vegetables and fruits. Uh, so it's a it's an extremely nutritious uh, vegetable. The, the cabbage family is extremely nutritious. Uh, to start with, and then you add this real deep purple color. So that's one we're, we're going to want to try. It, it apparently uh, eats very good. It's going to grow. We know it's going to grow well in this area because broccoli is very easy for us to grow. We can get both the summer crop uh, quite easily. Tends to tends to doesn't hold well in the field because warmer temperatures. Uh, we tend to break that uh, that uh, head into the flowering, and everyone's seen broccoli that's gone to a yellow flower. So these are the flower buds that we're actually consuming. So a uh, great summer crop, but uh, we got to get that harvest done time. Got a little bit more leeway in the fall, so even better for a fall crop. So purple magic's one. And try to get some seed of and trying to grow out. And we had another uh, another broccoli that that did gain all American selection. That's one called Sky Tree, which grows a little bit differently. It, it grows on a stalk, and it gives your head instead of a large head that's uh, three, four, five, six inches across your primary head. It gives you a number of uh, uh, intermediate size heads, uh, more like what you might want to be harvesting and putting on your plate. So these are going to be an inch, inch and a half across. And there's a whole series of them that, that form out on the, the upper portion of the plant. So it, it kind of grows tall, uh, and it's one that's going to be interesting, should be very interesting to harvest because you've got a lot of these uh, smaller heads that are just going to be just about ideal to steam and put on your plate. You won't have to cut the heads apart. So I think that one also has some interest. That was a regional winner in the Pacific Northwest, but it should still grow nicely for us. All of these we like to put in trials so we can give you some kind of indication for how they've performed uh, for us as well. So there's a couple of the, we call these the, uh, the crucifers, a couple in the cabbage family that really stand out this year, and we definitely want to try and add them to the uh, the large number of uh, very successful varieties that we've got. Dave, we've got others to talk about. we got a new pepper that's really exciting for me, and we've got... Uh, Certainly, some of the uh, the flowering material that that's going to uh, be quite spectacular for this year as well. All right, Bob, we appreciate it as always, man. And uh, I'm assuming that Dave will be back here next week to talk to you again uh, next Tuesday. Well, that's just wonderful. Uh, we're looking forward to it, and uh, looking forward to a great new year. And when we get a little more time, we'll take a look at some of the other really intriguing new introductions for 2024. Everyone be safe out there. Have a good first week of the year, and uh, we'll look forward to another year of uh, great gardening for sure. All right, Bob, thank you so much. Bob Olin, the Bob Olin Show, every Tuesday, 9 to 10, right here on KDAL. 9.52, your money now next as we wrap up the morning show 